Semiconductors may be tiny in size, but they have a monumental impact on our daily lives. From powering our smartphones and laptops to keeping our cars and medical equipment running, semiconductors are a backbone of modern technology. And without these miniature marvels, our world would come to a standstill. Incredible advancements have been made in the semiconductor industry, with chips now being produced at a width of only 13.5 nanometers. That's roughly 120th the width of a human hair, and to put that into perspective, the average virus is around 100 nanometers inside, which means that these tiny chips are smaller than some of the smallest organisms on the planet. The fact that we now can create complex computing systems on a scale that was once unimaginable is a testament to the incredible progress that's been made in the field. Get ready to dive into the fascinating world of semiconductors. Hello, tech friends, and thank you for tuning in to Emerging Technologies in Business, where we take a deep dive into different technologies that are impacting businesses today and in the very near future. I'm your host, Brock Reiney, and this podcast is brought to you by Kincannon XR. Let's talk tech. Hey, Robert, thank you so much for being here today, good sir. First off, Robert, if you don't mind, could you tell our home audience a little bit of background on yourself? So I've been in the business for about 25 years now. Oddly enough, I started in the semiconductor industry as a high school dropout. Wow. <laughs> I, my, my roommate had recently just graduated and he started working at Applied Materials. Now, growing up, I actually was a car junkie. I built hot rods since I was like 12 years old. My roommate came to me and he was like, Robert, you've got to apply for a job at this place. You would be so good at this. I started off at Applied Materials, mounting the chambers to the engine stands and just working as a laborer, you know, picked that up, eventually did go back to school, got my degree and became lead of, of in the manufacturing lines. I've worked in many different areas in manufacturing. Then I went into final test, final tested different, many different platforms then moved into the field as a field service engineer and uh, traveled the world, worked on many different different types of equipment around the world and uh, just had a great career, a lot of somewhat of an odd career as well, but being able to have your hands on so many different tool sets is fairly rare. Oddly enough, my friend that, uh, that got me into this business, he still works on the same equipment and has wow. never has, and I, I talk to him, I call him all the time and I'm like, he's like, man, you're speaking Chinese to me. I don't understand what you're talking to talking because like about, because I've worked, he's worked on factory interfaces for 25, 26 years now. And so that's all he knows is factory interfaces. And so it, it's, it's funny that I've had all this experience working on many different types of soul sets and working around the world at different fabs. It's been a great career and I've really enjoyed it, but Beyond that, I moved into, I, I figured I'm getting a little bit older now, so it's time to start getting away from turning wrenches and working on machines. And I got into management and operations management for a couple of small semiconductor companies. And at that time, I started part of my job as, a, as throughout the day was to research what's going on in the industry and to really find out how the how we as a company can make a an make a more return and better sales in, in our business. And so I would dedicate about an hour a day just reading and trying to find out how we can grow as a business. And there's a guy named Gary Vandercheck. Gary Vandercheck, right. I used to listen to him online and and he said he says do something for others and ask for nothing in return. And he's like, I challenge you. And I said, 
Okay. So I actually took the challenge and I said, well, part of my day is to read the news, find out what's going on in the semiconductor industry. I'll just start writing and posting on my LinkedIn about what's going on in semiconductor. And so I did. Next thing I know, I'm getting a hundred followers a, a day on LinkedIn. It's just growing and expanding. I'm getting phone calls from CEOs of billion dollar companies and they're, you know, I'm just like, wow, you know, people are saying, wow, love your content. Thanks for putting it out there. Thanks so much. And today I'm at 41, 42,000, no, 43,000 followers and 30,000 connections. It's been, it's been quite a, a growth, you know, with the whole chip expansion and the whole world learning about what microchips are and how important they are. It's grown a lot really fast. Today, I I have a, a, a company that I work with that sponsors all of my posts and, and it's, it's good to just, you know, write and talk. I do newsletters. I do podcasts. I do post, I do about four posts a day. It just, wow. it, it's incredible. And the amount of news that's coming out daily, it's incredible to try to keep up with the, this, this new news every day and just writing and talking and posting all, all day long. That's, and then I, of course I sponsor my, my sponsor that, that, that finances everything. So it's been good. It's been a great ride. I've loved this career. I've loved the industry. I've started a new nonprofit organization trying to bring education and knowledge of the industry to the younger generation and trying to get them excited about semiconductors because we have a, a, a big problem coming. We need to, we're doubling the size of the industry and we need to get these kids excited about the industry because we don't have them in the pipeline right now. We're doubling the size of the industry. Average age of semiconductors, senior engineering is 52 years old and we're retiring a lot of people. We need to put a lot of these younger kids in the pipeline to be able to get them filling these positions that are coming open in the, in the very near future. So. Well, I think the, that was how I found you too, by the way, was LinkedIn. You know, I started doing research much like you, right? I do research all the time on new technologies that are out and happened to jump into extreme ultraviolet lithography. And that was where I found you. And same, just like I'm sure all the CEOs are saying the exact same thing. I found your content to be really crisp, really, really good stuff and really well written, by the way, as well. Thanks. So congratulations Thanks. on all the success there. And you were right. So you were mentioning like we're doubling how many semiconductors are really going to be near the field that we're going to need. And we're mm -hmm. seeing that age out process in a lot of different industries as well, where we're just losing this top talent and we're not replacing it with younger talent as of right now. So there's a huge disparity going on right now. And with semiconductors, COVID obviously accelerated that problem, where I think that was when the general public finally realized what all has a semiconductor in it, like everything does, like most of the things that we're using on a day to day basis. Like Amazing. I had no idea that it was in every single one until I started doing my own research. And you've mm -hmm. seen a whirlwind of change in the 25 years you've been doing this, Robert. So what has been some of the bigger changes that you've seen, you know, in the industry in the last couple of years? And how have you seen that impacting the field of work right now? Well, I mean, I, I think the biggest change we're seeing lately, obviously, we follow Moore's Law, right? And Moore's Law has constantly brought that node down to the next levels. And we've been following that since I've been in the industry. It's been, you know, pretty consistent. But I think one of the some of the biggest changes we're seeing right now is is global nationalization of chips and the global chips acts for many nations and the geopolitics that has gotten involved in this industry. We're, we're of course seeing chip shortages and and 
a chip is not a chip. They, they can be apples and oranges because of the different types of chips and how they're made. There's very different styles of chips and very different pricing of, of, of the chips as well. But so understanding that and, and how that, how that geopolitics is, is playing in the industry and, and why we're having these chip shortages, but also the, you know, understanding like the, the chip wars and the geopolitics that are going into this. There's a lot of sanctions going on right now, international sanctions that are happening that are, are really kind of a silent war right now that we're, we're seeing between nations. So. Yeah, it's definitely gotten a little muddy is the best way to say it, right? It has. So one of the things I was hoping you could reiterate to our audience is why the semiconductor industry is so important when we're talking in the realm of technology. It's easy to say, yes, we can make everything smaller. Smaller means that we can have more of them. More of them means that we can have better technology. But how do you see that as the way that it contributes to advances in areas like computing and communications and those type of industries? The communicate the the world is getting is is getting a lot more. We're able to communicate a lot easier now. There's a lot of important things that are taking place right now. That is the high speed internet, and and you see that around the world. As I travel, I travel around the world. I was just in Oman and Dubai and and Munich and and all these other countries. But I see that. The one thing that really slows down, that the one thing that really stops a lot of these countries from being more advanced is the 5G technology. That this is the this is the high speed internet, and being able to have this high speed internet is very important for these nations. I, I had a great conversation with a gentleman while I was flying to the Middle East. He is from Africa, and you know and. We just, you know, we were talking about technology and how much technology is changing the world. And and technology is just going to be this great equalizer that's going to, it's going to educate and bring so much knowledge and access to everything to the rest of the world that we're really going to see nations coming out of, out of poverty and being able to see this is going to, it's going to change everything. It's, we're going to be able to Really, this technology chips are, are just going to be in everything. And this, the way that chips and computers now are analyzing data and being able to process the amount of data that they have, it, it's going to really, it's going to be super impactful in the future. Because not only does it just, it, not only is it just chips, but it's, it's also, you know, it, it's these other nations around the world and them being able to advance people and educate people and being able to do things that bring them out of the poverty and bring them out of, you know, into the world of technology and, and being able to have that access for them is just super important. I think it, it'll be, it really will be a great equalizer. The, the, the tech, this tech chip technology will be. When you look back in, in time, right? So when we used to have these computer chips, they were the size of most of a room, right? We sent people to the moon using 64 megabits worth of storage it's crazy to me when you start thinking about now that we have the ability to make these chips so small that we can have so many of them in one thing that it's like anything else, you know, the, the smaller it gets, the faster it gets. Right. So yeah. what are we going to be capable of if we could send somebody to the moon <laughs> with 64 megabits of storage? And that was yeah. however many years ago, who knows what we can do now? I, I agree with you completely. I don't think there'll be such a thing as poverty really anymore or, yeah. 
you know, any sort of war-torn countries or anything in that manner, everything will slowly start building into the, like this version of some sort of utopian society, I would assume. Yeah. Once we get mm -hmm. to that point, then, you know, we'll have digital currency because why would we have paper money? It doesn't make any sense any right. longer either, right? I don't know how close we are with that, Robert, but I see the same vision. I think that's exactly where yeah. we're at. I mean, mm -hmm. 10, 20, 30 years, maybe? But our exponential growth is just going to happen so much quicker, too, because we haven't even thought of the technologies that we're going to be able to utilize with this type of tech that we have. So it's yeah. going to be an exciting world. There's no doubt about that. I'm excited to hear back from you, too, like later yeah. on in the year. And if you're yeah. good with it, I'd love to follow up with you once a year or so on and so forth. Have sure. you back on so we can learn anything new that's going on. Definitely. Anyway, I'd love, back. To, show you, I'd love yeah. to show you a, something that I talk about and that I, I spoke about in Oman. Yeah. This is a Cerevis chip. Cerevis. It is 2.6 trillion transistors, 850,000 cores. It, this is the new AI technology that, that, that is coming out. It, it's just incredible to see the technology where we've gone from a single transistor bulb, right? right. You talk about the transistor bulb and like how we've gone from that to 2.6 trillion transistors inside of a, a, a chip. And I talked to my kids and I talked to students about it. Like, what is that? What is, what is a trillion? Try counting to a trillion. You're going to be right. counting for 31,000 years or 30, 31, 32,000 years, something wow. around, around there, trying to count to a trillion. That's how big that number is. <laughs> like that number is, is, is insanely big. And, and so the amount where we've gone and where we're going with technology is just amazing. And, and we're fixing to see a parabolic shift because of artificial intelligence and, and the way that we're able to use automation and, and AI to just compound that by millions of times, you know, that, that growth and, and that data collection, it's going to be incredible. There's no doubt about that. I was hoping if you don't mind, if you could Tell me and the audience a little bit about extreme ultraviolet lithography and kind of how that differs from the techniques that are being used in the semiconductor in manufacturing industry right now. Obviously, yeah. this is a newer one. And for our audience back home, just so you all know, when we refer to lithography, that's a semiconductor process of reducing a pattern of complex circuits onto a chip. So if you hear us refer to that or if you hear us talk about extreme ultraviolet lithography as EUV, that's why it's just to shorten it because it's kind of a long way, long thing to say. Anyway, Robert, could you give us a little bit of breakdown on it? We've, well, you're from like your viewers may, may or may not understand the, the old way of lithography of shooting a laser through a radical and a, a mask, you know, and then inputting this laser through this reticle that imposes this image onto a wafer that we all, the, the silicon wafer that we're all familiar with. And this is the old way of doing this technology. Well, we kind of hit a bottleneck with, with trying to keep up with Moore's law. And I guess it was 2016 or so, there was some people talking and trying to figure out where do we go from here? Because we don't have the technology to really the mass production technology to be able to to bring the nodes down to the smaller level we we're now at we're, we're now saying that we can do we're trying to perfect mass production at three nanometers we're not doing it yet but we can 
say that we're doing we are doing it very well at seven nanometers that chip that i showed you is a seven nanometer chip and uh, so to put some of that into perspective what is a nanometer like and what does three nanometers mean depending on the type of material a nanometer depending on, on the molecule and what it, the size of it a nanometer 23 nanometers is 21 atoms wide 21 to 30 something atoms wide depending on so we're stacking atoms right and being able to understand what that means and what does a nanometer mean that that's you know that, that really how you break it down but so now we we've come up with uh, asml came out with ev uh, extreme ultraviolet technology and this is the next photolithography equipment that's bringing it down from 10 to 7 nanometers to well i guess we can go down to one right one nanometer and and then we change architectures and we change different processes the way that we we're, we're going to do packaging and then that will change how we continue that growth but eev is an incredible incredible machine i was i was reading about it just the other day i mean it's it's a 13.95 nanometer wavelength light that it uses a 25 kilowatt laser it shoots so much energy thousand times per second and it it's actually it's it's dropping droplets liquefied droplets of tin and it's vaporizing that tin and as it's suspended in the air many, many times, and it's taking that plot, it's creating a plasma with that tin that uh, the electrons are able to absorb into the tin molecules. And then the energy then is returned to whenever they discharge the energy there from, from that droplet it uses that to create the EUV photons. So it, it, it's, it's a super, super complicated system. They've gone back and forth with, you know, trying to create this machine. There's a, the laser that they use on this machine. It's the, the perfection of this lens. It's made by one company in Germany. And this company is able to make this lens. And it's like 0.0 to the, 16th scale. It's, a, it's something incredible. The perfection of this lens is extremely hard to make. It takes a year to make this single lens wow. for this machine. And the, the, so trying to recreate this machine, other companies trying to recreate this machine is, is very difficult. And, but ASML has perfected it. It's really they're, they've done an amazing job. They, they had issues at one point. They're trying to figure out why the, the laser wasn't working. It wasn't whenever they're shooting it through, shooting it into the reticle. But at one point they found out that if they shoot the laser through a water, through water, the, they're able to some, the refraction of the laser through water is able to 
bring make this thing work it's incredible because you know and as they were creating this machine how that you know how those those phases took place and and how they you know they're because they're like okay we got this we can do this and oh now we're having this issue and and then they they find out that they shoot the laser through the through the water the refraction of the light is able to to you know, do what it does. This machine is just wonder how that incredible happened. technology. Yeah. You got to yeah, wonder how they figured exactly. that out one day. Did somebody sure. spit take and we accidentally had the laser <laughs> go through it? Like, right. you know, what happened? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how we figured it out. We didn't mean to, but we just got there eventually. Yeah. And you can also yeah. see why all these other companies are trying to compete with ASML as well. Um, mm-hmm. It takes a year to make one of these machines, not to mention it's mm-hmm. only a hundred million dollars to buy one. But... We can see yeah. why everyone's wanting to go that way, obviously, with the being able to make them as small as possible with the, the nanometer technology mm-hmm. there. Are you seeing mm-hmm. any sort of advantages or disadvantages to using EUV since it's become an option? And has it kind of changed what the adoption rate has been in the market so far? I know Samsung is building one of their own factories as well down here in Austin. Um, mm-hmm. Are you starting to see more and more adoption for the EUV technology based on the people who can yeah. afford it? Well, this is... Right now, EUV is only pretty much done in mass production at TSMC, and that is in Taiwan. Of course, we have a lot of geopolitical issues going on with that region of the world, and this one of the reasons why there's such a big push for the hundreds of billions of dollars that are being invested into the semiconductor industry globally. But we are, we're building Samsung, we're we're building, which is going to be an EUV fab. We're building a couple of Intel fabs that are going to be EUV fabs right here in the United States. We're, we're also building, what else are we? Oh, we're, TSMC is going to start building. They're building two fabs in Arizona. And okay. so TSMC is, you know, thinking, well, we, you know, geopolitically, maybe it's better if we're throughout the world. They're also looking at Munich and some other other regions to expand to as well. But uh, yeah, the the EUV technology right now is we're very dependent on on one nation to produce this technology. So it is going to take a very long time for these fabs to come up and to to get into mass production because you can buy this machine you can buy all this hundreds of billions of dollars of equipment and and have these build these fabs up but there's this is a recipe this is a it's a process to be able to make these chips and to be able to have the high yield because not every chip on that wafer that you're making is going to be viable so having a having a high yield wafer where it's it's financially you know viable to to be able to 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 make this super expensive buy these super expensive machines and making this making these chips it's if you if you don't if you don't make it you know if you don't make it usable if you don't make it financially feasible yeah profitable profitable i'm sorry profitable, if, you if you don't make it financially profitable you're you're it's, there's really no point in these companies doing what they're doing so that's going to be the trick that is really going to be the the tricky part is trying to bring these companies here build these fabs that are going to cost hundreds of billions of dollars and then perfecting the recipes and and making sure that their recipes and their equipment is is creating high yield for high profits for these companies and so it it is an, is going to be very tricky trying to do that 
So yeah, for yeah. sure. And like you said, it's just not cost effective immediately, at least not now. Mm-hmm. But most things when they first come out, Robert, they're not realistically. They always get better, cheaper. But if you've got a lens that you can't create outside of a taking a full year, I don't know how we're going to get that down. Yeah. But that that process is going to have to get a little bit better. But once we do get to that point where it's more cost effective, we'll be able to do more high volume manufacturing with a lot with these plants that we were mentioning too, Samsung, Intel, all these different ones that are coming in with all the ones that we're starting to build now. Do you think that there's going to be a big impact from EUV on new technologies like AI and IOT or anything that you think that maybe we don't know about yet that might come out or anything you've dreamed of? I mean, sure. I'll write there's... it down. I'll, I'll patent it. I'm just letting you know. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> there's, there's lots of EUV will, will definitely be, will hinge our techn- future technology and how the, the future technology, you know, we're able to grow that industry. But like I mentioned before, they kind of are apples and oranges. The chips that we're short right now, you're hearing about chip shortages everywhere. These are the these are the 128 nanometer, 200 and something nanometer chips that are old technology. These are the chips that are going into your transmission, the chips that are going into your washer and dryer, the chips that are going into your dishwasher. These are the chips that run the world. They're not the really the chips that run the world are the old legacy technology that we you don't think about very much that are really running the machines that you use on a daily basis. And of course you can go buy your brand new Apple laptop and you can go buy your, your super advanced new cell phone. That's going to have the small node technology in it. That's going to have the, you know, the seven nanometer, five nanometer technology in it as that advances, it's going to continue to get smaller and we're going to continue to do different things like 2d packaging, 3d packaging, where we're actually taking chips and integrating them together into single packages. Right. And that will continue to evolve. But I, I think most, most of all, we're, we're going to see a big change in, in this technology. Yeah. yeah. We're definitely going to have a more connected world. It feels like all the things that aren't necessarily connected right now are going to be right. Mm-hmm. And even probably the most bizarre things I would think too, Robert, long-term, like we'll have connected desks. I don't know why I need a connected desk, but sure. We'll find a good purpose for it. Maybe it'll have some way of connecting an automatic, I don't know, monitor that can pop up, pop down or something, but mm-hmm. everything really, realistically, I, I feel the same way. Once we get 10, 15, 20 years down the line, like you were mentioning 2035, we're going to have a trillion chips out there because everything's just going to be connected. It won't even matter what it is. You're going to buy an energy drink and it's going to have a chip in it. Who cares at that point? (laughs) And I got to throw one more question at you because I like to have a little bit of fun at the end of the interview. So very weird question, but I like to ask weird questions to put people on the spot. So if semiconductors were superhero, which one would they be and why? (laughs) Which, which one would they be? Oh gosh. Superman. Superman. <laughs> I like it. They, well, well, not too familiar with, super, with superheroes, but yeah, Superman. Would, they they are going to they are going to be the backbone and the foundation of our world and the future. 
they are we are not going to be able to live without chips but like you were talking about the cbdc's central bank digital currencies that are going to be coming out in the future they will be our money they will be our data they will be everything and and a lot of people say that they will be the new oil so that's yes. going to be that's going to be very important to the I, I actually wrote about that the other day that china imported more chips they spent more money on chips than they did on the oil that's that's quite a it's crazy quite quite a feat that's a that's a lot but yeah and, and then the then the technology will will change and will continue to evolve and make it make it expand so Absolutely. Robert, thanks for being on the show today. You want to tell our audience a little bit about your nonprofit as well? Love to. Yeah. My nonprofit is SIMU. That's Semiconductor Industry Mobile Education Unit. The goal is to, we're raising funds. I would like to build a 52 foot semi trailer that is going to expand to a thousand square feet. And we're going to drive this 18 wheeler to schools all over the nation. And from sixth grade to 12th grade, we're going to educate and excite the next generation about semiconductors and the technology of this industry and, and, and where it's going. So we have to get these kids excited about the industry right now. They're excited about making money as software engineers and doing other things, but we need to get them really excited about working on semiconductor equipment and, and being in, in, in this, in this area. It's going to be, it's quite a challenge right now trying to grow this and it's so much work, but it's so well worth it. I, I've recently had a, a, we took a tour of 10 high school kids to the University of Texas lab. And that was just an amazing, an amazing trip that we did. It was good. That's super cool. For everybody at home, go to www.simeu.co if you want to check it out. And then Robert will, of course, put that down in the notes below for everybody as well. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a super fun conversation with you. For everybody at home, that's going to be all the time that we have for today. You can join us next time for Emerging Technologies in Business, where we explore the latest technologies that shape our world with new episodes that come out every Monday morning at 7 a.m. Central. And of course, I have to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Kincannon XR. The future is XR. And if you're working in the XR world and you're looking to step into the future with XR, Kincannon XR is here to help bring your XR dreams into a reality, regardless of if you're developing your own XR application or you're looking for a helping hand to take an idea to the next level. Kincannon is here to help. Reach out to Kincannon XR by emailing them at inquiry at kincannonxr.com. And then, of course, you can also find our podcast on social media as well, at ETIB Podcast. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and click for another one of these emerging technologies and business videos that will pop up here on YouTube. That's going to do it for today. Thank you again, Robert, for being here. Fantastic talking. Really, really enjoyed it. Good, sir. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk some more emerging tech next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.